Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Kevin Judd is considered a pioneer in New Zealand winemaking. The original winemaker at Cloudy Bay, Kevin now owns Grey Wacky, where he produces some of the most interesting and delicious Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand. As one journalist said, it's Sauvignon, but not as we know it. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Foodeter.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Foodeter.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart, and with me today is Kevin Judd of Grey Wacky. We're recording this episode at David Burke's Prime House at 616 North State in Chicago. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. You started out your career making wines in Australia, and then you moved to New Zealand, yeah? Yeah, I was uh, brought up in Adelaide in South Australia, and I made my first job was at um, the Chateau Ranella, just south of Adelaide. And then in, um, I moved to New Zealand in 1983. plan at the time was uh, for a three years work experience, but of course I never went home. <laughs> you actually were the first winemaker with Cloudy Bay? Yep. Well, when I went to New Zealand, I worked for a company called Silex up in Auckland. In 1984, I met, a, um, I met a guy called David Honan. He'd come to New Zealand after, being, after tasting a uh, Sauvignon Blanc that had been given to him by some visiting winemakers from New Zealand um, at Cape Mantel. And he was, he was so blown away with the, um, the fruit quality and intensity in the Sauvignon Blanc. He travelled to New Zealand and had a look around and subsequently decided to, set, to establish a second wine company. So he had Cape Mantel, he was making great red wines, but he aspired to make better whites. And um, this bottle of Sauvignon Blanc was, what, um, was, the, was, a, um, was the thing that sent him across the Tasman to explore New Zealand. So anyway, so um, a couple of weeks later he rang me and um, offered me a job. So at that, that time he had no, of course he had no, he had no winery, he had no name, had no land, had nothing. So had, he, had you had a lot of experience with Sauvignon Blanc prior to that? Well, I was making. I was making. Um, I'd, I'd, I had some experience with Sauvignon Blanc. I'd made um, a number of um, Sauvignon Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc Simelon blends for Silex, and had won a few um, gold medals and things. Which is why he came to see me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. When the consumer thinks about it, there, there's a almost a stereotype to it. That's that's not fair. Well, what do you what do you think you're doing that's differently to separate you out from that? Well, the hallmark of um, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc really is fruit intensity, and that's a that's a function of the of, of the climate. It's a combination of the climate. Um, it's, we have a very maritime but very sunny South Pacific climate. Our, our, lati- our latitude is actually 41.5 south, so in equivalence to the Northern Hemisphere, where it, our latitude doesn't even go through France; it goes through sort of Italy and Spain. So this. So the sun is very high in the sky and we get very intense sunlight, but because we're completely surrounded by the ocean, we, we have our, our temperatures are, are moderated quite, quite severely and it very, very rarely gets above 30 degrees centigrade, which, isn't, which is not hot. So, oh. so our fruit ripens in this very cool and very long but very sunny growing season, so we get this incredible intensity of fruit. And I think that's that's what New Zealand has become known for this sort of pungent intensity of, of Sauvignon Blanc flavour, and um, I guess that is a stereotype. That sort of um, that sort of that David Honan used to call it the eyebrow factor. 
people put their nose in the glass and and their eyebrows go up because they've, <laughs> they've never seen anything quite so intense and um, pungent. You'd think, you'd so. think though that with with the the cooler climate and the the, the long growing season that you might end up buying wines that are super acidic. Well, we do get a lot, lot. That's the other thing we get. We get um, intense flavour, but we also get very, very um, crisp acidity. So we get our, the acidity in our wines is all 100% natural. We, we don't need to add acid, especially to Sauvignon Blanc. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite is the problem in a cool year. So we get very bright acidity and very pungent flavours. So for, for me at Grey Wacky, my, my aim is to make more, more riper, more textural, not so aggressive um, and, and, and wines with, with crispness, but not too much acidity. So and we do that by the way we manage the canopy and the vineyard and, and the ripeness of the fruit that we're picking. So we aim for fairly high ripeness levels um, compared to some. And your, your, your winemaking style tends to be fairly non-interventionist. Uh, you're one of the wines you're really known for is, is, is your natural fermentation Sauvignon Blanc. How'd you get into this whole natural fermentation thing? It's, it's scary. It's a scary road to travel down, yeah. I'd imagine. Well, it wasn't, certainly wasn't what they taught me at Rosewood Agricultural College in South Australia to use wild yeast. Um, how did I get into it? It was pr- um, primarily the uh, influence of a guy called James Healy, who, who I employed in 1991 to help us with the winemaking at, at Cloudy Bay. And um, during his, that prior to his first vintage, he said to me one morning, why don't, why don't we ferment some Chardonnay with some wild yeast kev? And um, I thought that was an absolutely stupid idea, and I told him <laughs> so. <laughs> um, being, being educated in new world winemaking, um, I knew better, supposedly. But um, I, anyway, he, he um, kept on my case, and I eventually agreed to, um, a, to doing a trial. And um, when it, of course, we'll never regret that because um, even though the wines, when they started fermenting, were um, were very rustic and very smelly, um, the, the wines that sort of evolved after about nine months in barrel were sort of incredibly savoury and really interesting and just had a completely new dimension that I hadn't seen before. So um, the following year, we experimented with natural yeast in um, Sauvignon Blanc. And what year was that? Uh, 1992. Okay. Um, but this is prior to Grey Wacky, of course. Yeah. And then, um, so I, I've sort of fallen in love with wild yeast. I think wild yeast gives you um, more personality and more individuality. And it's really cool that, I mean, people talk about the terroir of a wine region being the combination of the climate and the soils. And um, more, more recently, it's been suggested that the, that the human influence is also part of the terroir but I'd like to think take that one step further we're, when we're using wild native yeast we're actually sort of using the microflora which is part of the terroir sure. as, as well which um, is, is a sort of a cool thing but it, it does give the wine more personality that's for sure and at Grey Wacky we make a um, what we call a wild Sauvignon which is 100% wild yeast um, our Chardonnay, our Pinot Noir and our Pinot Gris are also 100% wild it's a it's a bit of a dangerous road to travel down though with wild yeast. Do you ever end up with problems with stuck fermentation or wines that don't ferment quite dry or um, occasionally they don't occasionally they take a bit of encouragement to go to go dry. 
sometimes the fermentation sort of peter out with a few grams of residual sugar remaining, but a couple of grams is, is, is actually not a problem at all. Sure. Occasionally we get a stuck ferment, but we, we've sort of learned how to deal with that over the years. But it's pretty rare that, um, that a wine goes completely off track. It does happen occasionally. Now, yesterday we tasted um, a, a, a vertical of, of your wild ferment, uh, Sauvignon Blancs, from, was it 2009 to 14? And one of the things I found super interesting about it is they all had a, a, a real lazy character. That, that, that kind of creaminess really sort of helped balance out the fruit and acidity. Yeah, 2009 was actually our first vintage at Grey Wacky, so we tasted all of the all of the, the wild Sauvignons that we've made to date. Wild yeast tends to give a wine more, as well as give, give it more personality, you tend to get a little bit more sort of um, weight and almost a sensation of sort of sweetness. It's not sweetness, but it's like a sensation of sweetness, so it gives a fullness. But on top of that, we, um, with that wild, with the wild Sauvignon, we also use a proportion of malolactic fermentation. So about two-thirds of, of each of those wines had gone through a malolactic, which is a bacterial fermentation which softens the acidity. So that also adds to the sort of the weight on the palate and the, and the creaminess, I guess you could call it, and, 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 in, and in turn, the malolactic decreases the acidity of the wine, so you get a little bit less of the bright acidity, and it sort of softens the wine and also makes it taste fuller. So wild Sauvignon, a grey wacky wild Sauvignon, is not your classic Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. It's Sauvignon, but not as you know it. It's, um, it's a Sauvignon Blanc with, a, with more weight and more complexity and um, more texture, I guess. And I, w- I was really surprised also by the color. The color going back to 2009, these wines don't get that kind of browny, oxidated color. Is that because of the screw cap? Why is that? <laughs> it amazes me, actually, um, that the, the wines that we're making at Grey Wacky seem to age very well, but not only they look... I mean, you could hardly tell the difference between the oldest and the, the, the From the, the 14 which, back to the 9 is, were virtually um, the same color. Which is astonishing, really. It certainly, I, I guess, I, I think it's a combination of the processing techniques that we use and um, in the um, in the sort of the, the way we press the grapes. We we try. We actually don't take a lot of juice per ton. Um, we, we well, we take a rather modest amount of juice per ton. So I don't squeeze the grapes particularly hard, and I think that helps. Um, with sort of minimising the amount of phenolics, which mm-hmm. is something that if you have high phenolics, you tend to get wines that go brown, more darker as they age more quickly. Interesting. And also, we we also very careful with um, botrytis. Botrytis is a fungus, and um, if you have if you if you handle fruit a certain way when it has botrytis, you can end up sort of ending up with a wine that goes darker as it ages. But but also the screw cap the screw cap um, helps. With, with more with the consistency than anything um, consistency from bottle to bottle and it helps the wine age more gracefully you talked about botrytis botrytis is quite a quite quite a quite a problem in marble yeah uh, well not so or, much. it can not be not necessarily a problem but it's it can be prevalent um, I mean we're, New Zealand is two little islands in the middle of the South Pacific and um, we're prone to and it's a very maritime climate so it's not uncommon for us to get um, rainfall during the harvest and 
We don't, we don't get a huge... I mean, the annual rainfall in Marlborough is only um, 27 inches, so it's not a lot of rain, but it, when you look at the um, the, uh, the long-term average, the, the rain falls pretty evenly every month. So every month of the year, you're likely to get a similar amount of rainfall, which, of course, includes the harvest month. And if it rains during harvest, during the... If it rains during the sort of the fi- final stage of the growing season, it's, it's, it's quite... Um, it's quite likely that you are going to get some sort of protritis. But we've learned over the years how to manage that. Even though we're growing a lot of our fruit organically, we manage the protritis with that um, combination of canopy management and, um, and just sort of manual removal of infected fruit. One of the other things I noticed about your Sauvignon Blancs yesterday that we tasted is they start out, the, the younger vintages were grassier, more feral, uh, maybe a little bit of that kind of cat pee kind of thing. And then as they age, that sort of goes away and it turns into this this beautiful kind of citrusy thing going, but also with a, a, a savoriness to it. Certainly, when, when, when they're very young, the wild Sauvignon does show more of that sort of primary um, um, intense Sauvignon Blanc fruit, although it is very much more subtle than the, the classic Marlborough style. Um, but yeah, you're right. As time goes on, that sort of that that tones right down, and when you've got a sort of six or seven year old wine, the primary fruit has di- has almost completely disappeared, and you've got sort of second everything is sort of secondary and tertiary sort of flavours, and and it's much more subtle and more um, sort of toned down, I guess. And how much of the wild Sauvignon Blanc do you make? Oh, it's a, it's the second most important wine in our portfolio in terms of volume. We actually were currently um, producing about 5,000 cases of this wine, which is, is not a lot of wine in the scheme of things. And uh, the world the world is a big place, so it gets spread, spread pretty thin. We export to about 35 markets around the world. Oh, wow. In fact, we export 95% of our production at Grey Wacky, mm. which is, and the U.S. is our, um, the, the U.K. and the U.S. are our, our biggest markets. And then, so, so if the wild Sauvignon Blanc is your second uh, largest in terms of pr- pr- production. What else are you producing? Well, Grey Wacky Sauvignon Blanc, our more classic Marlborough style, is by far the most important in terms of volume in our in our in our ranges. I guess it's a no-brainer that that Sauvignon Blanc from Grey Wacky would be the the most important variety. So we make we make Sauvignon Blanc in the, in, the, in those two styles, and then on top of that, we produce um, we only produce one red wine, which is um, Pinot Noir. Um, Pinot Noir course being a red grape variety that really suits the, the cool climate that we have in Marlborough and then we we make a Chardonnay which is a um, also 100% wild yeast a pretty old world quite savoury smoky nutty style of Chardonnay we make a little bit of uh, Pinot Gris and Riesling and the two um, what they call Alsatian aromatic varieties and then, and then finally the seventh one in our range which we don't necessarily make every year is a botrytis um, sweet wine. It's not super sweet, but it's, it's a sweet botrytis-affected dessert wine. And you're sourcing all of your fruit? We don't own any vineyards ourselves. When I left Cloudy Bay, I, I didn't own a... I, didn't, I never owned a share of Cloudy Bay, or uh, so I had no winery of my own, or, or a vineyard of my own, in fact, but I did have two very good friends and ex-colleagues who had um, who had left Cloudy Bay five years before me and established Dog Point 
and when um, when they heard I was thinking about doing my own thing, they invited me to to um, source my fruit from their from their various vineyards, and and they had some spare room in their winery, so I was able to to um, to use right. that. So I sourced I sourced m most of my fruit from from the dog from the Sutherland family that own Dog Point. Why don't we taste some wine? Right. So this is the 2015 Grey Wacky Sauvignon Blanc. So this is our, this is what we call our our interpretation of the classic Marlborough style. And then why don't you tell me what that means? So the well, classic Marlborough style, as I was alluding to before, is is a very vivacious, fruit-driven, modern winemaking, um, new world, I guess, new world style of of Sauvignon Blanc. It's classically fermented in stainless steel. It's, and I'm talking about, I'm talking generally about Marlborough, the, Marlborough, the classic Marlborough style. It's it's fermented cool to retain the fruit, and it's bottled um, relatively early, and it's on the market before you know it's picked in April, and, it's, it out, and, huh? it's, and it's on the market, and um, half of it's consumed by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fresh, fruity, vivacious, delicious. Um, style of wine. Now when I, when I say our interpretation, I'm, at Grey Wacky I'm aiming to make a um, very ripe, I, I like to work at the very ripe end of the spectrum. So we're getting the fruit very ripe. So we're moving perhaps away from that grassy end of the um, flavours. When, when Sauvignon Blanc ripens, it's at the, at the early stage of ripening you have much more of that what, what you guys call bell pepper or capsicum, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, capsicum sort of tomato vine, the spicy taste of a tomato vine, uh, grass or cut grass, that sort of more vegetative end. And as the fruit ripens, it goes through um, more of a sort of a passion fruit stage. And, yep. and then at, at sort of the higher end of the ripeness spectrum, you've got, you're moving into the sort of tropical fruit spectrum and you lose that grassiness. So I'm, I'm aiming to work more into that sort of tropical fruit spectrum. So we're picking the fruit when it's very ripe and um, and also at the riper end you have less acidity. I mean certainly this wine is not short of acid. No, I mean, by no means. No. It's, uh, it's actually got a really nice acidity. It yeah. balances the fruit beautifully. It's got a lovely crisp acidity, but it's not aggressive acidity. It's um, and about twenty percent of this wine is fermented with wild yeast, so that gives the wine another another little dimension as well. So that's part of our interpretation of the style. The wild yeast in this wine tends to show itself as a sort of a slightly smoky, um, sort of more herbal sort of note to the wine. Yeah, you know, you think if you're if you're really letting that fruit hang to get it to the right end of the spectrum, obviously you start thinking kind of really round and flabby, but this is not that at all. The acidity is beautiful through there. It balances everything uh, just just gorgeously. Yeah, everything's everything's um, relative. When I when I say ripe, I'm talking I'm talking in terms of sugar. We're talking. Um, what we talk in a, in a scale of what they call the brick scale, which is a metric scale. Mm -hmm. So we're picking, I like to pick Sauvignon Blanc up and probably an average of 22 bricks. So oh, 20, so not super. I mean, not, a lot of times the talking. Napa Cabernets are picked at 27, 28 bricks. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, we, I, 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 it's not uncommon for us to pick at 24 bricks. In fact, I like to get some fruit up to there, but probably the, the average is probably more like 22.5 
uh, some years more like 23, but certainly not 25 or 26. Sure. And it's it's a matter of balance and a matter of um, scale. If you go too far with your sun exposure, too far with your ripeness, you sort of lose that that sort of bright herbal edge, which is which is part of the um, attractiveness of Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. And what kind of uh, uh, alcohol level do you get at, at that level? We normally we normally run at about thirteen point five, which is certainly mm-hmm. which is you know thirteen or thirteen point five, which is it's certainly not low alcohol wine. No, by no means. But to make to make if you to to work at much lower alcohol, it's the same with our Chardonnay. We, we're running we run quite high alcohol there as well, but it's a, it's a sort of a Alcohol is a byproduct of ripeness, and in a, in a cool climate like ours, to get the sort of flavours into the what I consider the ripe end of the spectrum, and to get the acid acidity in the right balance, you just need to get the fruit to a certain level of ripeness, and with that comes a higher alcohol. But sure. when, when the alcohol in a cool climate wines with um, alcohols like these don't they, they taste very balanced? They don't sort of appear hot or fiery like they can from some warmer climates. What do we have next? So we'll move on to the wild Sauvignon. So the, here we have today we have the 14, which is the this is the the current release of the Grey Wacky Wild Sauvignon. So as a this is 100% wild yeast. So it's essentially from the same vineyards as the wine we've just tasted. But this wine, rather than rather than add yeast, we've just put the juice into barrels mainly old barrels and, and allowed and just sort of st- stood back really and, and allowed nature to take its course so the juice sort of sits in the barrel for a couple of weeks and during that two weeks the, the, microfl- the natural microflora from the vineyard gradually builds up in the juice and it eventually starts to ferment. Stunningly bright colour, just beautiful. Yeah, it has a little bit more colour than the other wine. Well, a year older I guess, huh? It's a year older, but it's also been sitting in a barrel for a whole year. So, and then during that time in barrel, the wine sort of picks up a little bit m- mm-hmm. more oxygen, and it's sort of in a slightly more um, less reductive environment. Really so, complex nose, almost a little, almost so, a little savory. So this, yeah, this has the f- the fruit is in the background, but it also has, a, a, as you say, a more savory, more 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 herbal, but not sort of green herbs. It's sort of like a tarragon and a little bit of thyme, maybe. And um, sometimes we see sort of floral characters in, in, mm-hmm. this, in this wine. Yeah, that, uh, it's definitely not so much in the pure fruit. It's more in... Right. It's certainly moved into the savory. And on the palate, it has um, has more texture. This is definitely not your... Uh, as we say, it's not your aunt's Sauvignon Blanc. This it's is one of the really journal- complex and... One of the gen- journalists in New Zealand said this, it's Sauvignon, Jim, but not as we know it. Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. I mean, having said all that, it's it's not necessarily a better wine than the Grey Wacky Sauvignon Blanc. It's a different wine. It's just different, sure. Yeah, it's totally different. It's a totally different style. I personally really enjoy drinking this style of Sauvignon Blanc. In fact, it's normally my preference. And, and but I guess on a, you know, on a really hot day and at lunch with a piece of white fish or something. No, you, you might want the brighter acid. You really the, can't go past the classic style of Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. But this sort of wine is really great with more creamy dishes and um, and it's more perhaps more food friendly and more has has more potential to to work with different types of food. And it ages beautifully. I can and tell it, you, it ages. tasting back to two thousand nine yesterday. It just was completely blown away by what a, what what a Sauvignon Blanc of that age can 
can be like? Now, I guess because because it's been in barrel for a year and it's gone through a certain amount of evolution before it's bottled, when when it is bottled, it tends to be more stable in the bottle, whereas when, with the classic style of Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, we're bottling something that is very raw and very and it has been kept in a very um, anaerobic, very um, more of a reductive, as we say, sort of environment. So when it's, it tends to change quite a lot in the first few years in the bottle, whereas this wine is, tends to be more stable, ages more. One of the things I didn't recognize, and sometimes wines that are bottled under screw cap are criticized of, is reductive notes. And I, I don't get that with your wines. I, I don't get the no, kind of rubber bandy, band aidy kind of smell. You have to be careful with screw cap that you're not bottling wine that has um, sort of what in the wine industry we call reductive character, which which is usually uh, sort of a, a sulfitic, sort of slightly bad egg sort of a um, smell, which is a, which is a natural sort of a smell in in uh, the, the fermentation process. You need to make sure that the wine doesn't have that before you bottle it because the the screw cap doesn't allow any oxygen through, which is, we could talk all day about the, the uh, pros and cons of screw caps versus cork, but my, my belief, and um, it's shared by many, many people, is that wine doesn't need any more oxygen than it has when it's bottled. The thought that, that wine needs, needs to have more oxygen through, you know, absorbed through the cork, I don't think is correct. I think that the um, wine, wine age is certainly more, more evenly and, and um, there's a lot less influence. Um, well, there's much more consistency with the screw cap and, and the wine stays fresher for longer. It does age and it does change. So mm-hmm. it, it certainly... No, the, 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 yeah, the, the change was definite um, yesterday in the vertical tasting from Absolutely. the 09 up to the 14. Let me ask you this question. When you're not drinking Grey Wacky or New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, what do you like drinking? Oh, I like all sorts of wine. Um, well, I, I do love good Chardonnay. I have to say, if I was going to, if I knew I was going to be hit by a bus when I walked out of here, I'd probably have a glass of Chardonnay before I left. It's probably my um, my um, my all-time favourite wine, and I like Chardonnay from from all over the place. Really, Chardonnay is a sort of grape that does seem to. Um, Work in all sorts of different temperature regimes, and you know anything from sort of the, from the cooler areas of Champagne right through to sort of the warmer um, climates, and it produces great wine in various climates. I like, I really like really sort of rich, um, ripe uh, uh, Pinot Gris, and um, uh, in terms of red wine, I'm I'm a bit of a Pinot Noir fan. I've got to say, once you. Once you get hooked on Pinot Noir, it's hard to go back. Yeah, I'm yeah. sort of in that neighborhood as well. For many years, I, when in my, well, not my youth, but in earlier in my career, I, I sort of didn't quite get the Pinot Noir thing. I and then, um, but after, you know, after tasting a few really good ones, suddenly the penny drops, and then you start sort of exploring the world of Pinot Noir, and it's a, it's an, it is a very Amazing, great variety. Yeah, it's, when I started in wine, it was all about Napa Cabernet back in the 1980s, and then it slowly evolved into Pinot Noir, and I just, mm. yeah, it seems like I want all great wine to be great Pinot Noir. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what we have left to taste, is your Pinot Noir? It is, actually, which is New Zealand. I mean, Pinot Noir is a red grape that thrives in a, in a cooler climate, the crack of quality. I think if, if any one red variety has the potential of doing 
for New Zealand what Sauvignon Blanc has done in the whites. It, it has to be Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is a red grape variety that really thrives in a in a, in, the, in a cooler climate. As with our Sauvignon Blancs and white wines, Pinot Noir in the, in our um, sort of really sunny but very cool climate gets sort of really intense. Not overly intense, but we get really pure and and, and intense Pinot Noir varietal character. This Pinot Noir and, is a and really nice natural acidity. There's a really pretty kind of almost dusty color to it. Really like that. So this is this, all of our all of our fruit is from Marlborough. So this is a Marlborough Ooh. Pinot. Wow. Marlborough Pinot is really coming of age now. It took us a long time to get the right sort of clones in the ground and find the right sort of soil. But now that we've sort of established in this, what we call the southern valleys of Marlborough, which yeah. is a more clay-based soils of the southern of the southern valleys, the Brancot Valley, the Amaka Valley, the Waihopai. Once we got the right clones in the ground there, and now that we've got some vine age, um, this is from a 15-year-old organically farmed hillside vineyard in the Brancock Valley. We, are, we, as in Marlborough, are producing some world-class Pinot Noir. It's uh, got a great structure. There's, there's a great structure to it. It's not, when you're initially talking to me about the, the, the kind of ripeness levels, the fruity levels, fruitiness levels you get in, in, in the Marlboro Pinot Noirs. They started imagining kind of a, like a Russian River Pinot Noir, kind of fruity in your face. But there's, there's nice bright acidity here to back that up and a little bit of tannin and really pretty wine. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not great big fat Pinot Noirs. We, don't, we make... Um, more fragrant aromatic styles uh, sort of medium body I guess certainly not huge tannins but enough tannin to give it good backbone and some really nice structure but very fragrant spicy this is uh, once again 100% native yeast wild yeast this is wild ferment too huh yep and um, we use about 20% whole bunch. So 20% of the fruit goes into the fermentation tank as whole clusters, which gives the wine a little bit, uh, sort of adds to that sort of fragrance. It gives the wine a little bit of, sort of floral um, highlight in the nose, sort of adds to that pretty, the, the, the prettiness of the wine. Your wines, you're pretty non-interventional throughout your winemaking, but you do use some SO2? Absolutely. I'm going to get one of those t-shirts which says I love SO2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the kind of hip, cool thing is these natu- natural wines, quote-unquote, that, that don't have any SO2, and I, I'm, I'm just... I'm yeah, so they are what they uh, are, but... Someone sent me a link yesterday, an email, to uh, Hugh Johnson's... Um, I can't remember where the story was written, but he talks about... He talks about natural wines and... and um, orange wines and things and as he says you know we've we've learned how to make better wines than that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, SO2 is a very important tool as far as I'm concerned to make high quality wine especially and, a wine that's going to age and yeah absolutely so, uh, if, you, if you're making a wine that's going to be consumed within a few months and it's not going to travel around the world um, you can get away with things like that but it's but why? Let's not go there. <laughs> I just brought this along. I thought you might be interested in the um, the name Grey Wacky. Um, oh, we didn't get into that. Yeah, what, yeah. what does Grey Wacky mean? Well, Grey Wacky is a type of rock, and this is actually a piece I grabbed from the vineyard just before I left. It's um, it's a very, very hard 
um, sedimentary rock. It's a, it's a mix of mud and sand, and it's, it's found primarily on the edge of continental shelves, um, which of course New Zealand is. New Zealand is actually formed by the by the continual um, convergence of the of the Australia, of Australasian and Pacific plates, the tectonic plates. So it's, it is on the edge of a continental shelf. So this is a highly compressed sort of mixture of sand and mud. And it's actually very grey. <laughs> it's just a it's just a grey old boring rock, but it's uh, got a cool name. And it's the principal bedrock of New Zealand, but it's found in other parts of the world. It's found in um, in the um, is what well, is a vineyard in California, in fact, in Russian River called Grey Wacky Vineyard, a little vineyard there. And the Egyptians used to carve from it. It's found in Scotland and Ireland. It's found all over the world. Really, it's from a German term, Grolwacker. Terrific. Kevin, thanks so much for the taste. You're, 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 the story of your winemaking is fascinating. Your wines are absolutely delicious. And uh, thanks very much for spending some time with me. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Good on you. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Poor with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Poor. This has been The Honest Poor with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 